picture it. New York City minus the high-rise buildings. Anyone who wants to get a glimpse of what the city looked like before all of the concrete should look no further than the New York Botanical Garden. Good morning, I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Coming up, we'll pay a visit to a 50-acre native forest in the Bronx. But first, we're going foraging for food in Central Park. And I'm not talking about looking for the nearest hot dog vendor. I'm talking about seeking out edible plants. And believe it or not, Central Park is ripe for the picking. Naturalist wild man Steve Brill took me on a foraging adventure. What inspired you to do this? I was hungry. I was looking for food, and I found a carton of oatmeal in the kitchen cabinet. Right. I cooked it and made some nice cookies, and that impressed me enough that I graduated to the raisin box and did the recipe on the side of the raisin box. Eventually, I found my way into the public library system and started getting cookbooks and also learning about alternative and whole foods nutrition. Uh, and just got interested in food. Then one day I was bicycling past some ethnic Greek women in Cunningham Park in Queens dressed Mm -hmm. in black, collecting something. Since I was uh, so into food at the time, I asked them what they were doing, but it was all Greek to me. I came home with a bag of grape leaves, which I stuffed, and that was delicious. And in the fall, the same area in the park was festooned with fox grapes, which are the wild forerunner of Concord grapes, much tastier. And I collected those and started uh, making things with them. Then I got books on the subject. The books were mainly written by botanists who neither cooked nor forged, so the information was very poor. But I was able slowly to identify the plants I wanted to learn about and then did my own experiments with them in the kitchen and discovered on my own the best circumstances, conditions, and methods for harvesting them, which was also lacking in these uh, third-hand books. I began leading foraging tours, as I said, in 1982 and had the good fortune of being arrested and handcuffed by undercover park rangers for eating a dandelion in Central Park in 1986. It's against park regulations to remove any vegetation from the park. So if a kindergarten child picks up a colored leaf in the fall and takes it home, that's against the park regulation. Can't you just eat the evidence, Steve? That's what happened. There you go. I got uh, so much publicity that they dropped the charges and hired me to lead foraging tours, and I worked as a parks naturalist for the next four years. Uh, It turned out... um, Um, Decades later, I found out I was subjected to false arrest. The real reason that they came after me wasn't because I was doing something bad and they caught me. It was because they wanted to discourage foraging because they were afraid of frivolous lawsuits. Someone would claim that an allowed activity had poisoned them and sue the city. Um, and that constitutes false arrest, but I only found out about that decades later. Well, I wore camouflage today because I wasn't <laughs> sure if it were illegal, and I thought maybe we'd have to hide among the plants, but we're... I'll hide behind you. There you go. <laughs> so it all started with a rumble in the tummy. Yes. Now, yes. you stopped here. Is there something here you think we can eat? Yes. Malva neglecta. Let's not neglect it. So this has fused stamens. Those are the male parts of the plant in the center. And the leaves are round and notched, and they have these teeth. Stop biting. These are called the teeth. Don't do that. These are the... I'll bite you. Hmm. 
quite good, mild tasting and very chewy. What would, you compare, what would you compare that taste to? Okra, which it's related to. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So you mix this with stronger tasting mm -hmm. foods, especially in soups and stews where you need a little thickness. But you need to have the knowledge because you could yeah. accidentally ingest something that could make you seriously sick. Yeah, if you eat the wrong thing, it can kill you. There you go. And the instrument is the Brillophone. I learned it from my dad, I taught it to my daughter, and I don't play the saxophone, my name is Brill, so it's the Brillophone. There you go, the Brillophone. Okay, now, well, I understand your nickname, by the way, is Wildman, Steve yes. Wildman Brill. Wildman Steve Brill, yes. Where did that come from, the Wildman? Uh, before I led my first tour, I needed to publicize myself, and I knew that, and I was doing transcendental meditation, the name Wildman popped into my head. Okay, well, fitting, isn't it? Yes. Let's go. Okay, let's go. Walk this way. How frequently do you forage? Uh, several times a week. I do public tours Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays, and somewhere around three a uh, week with schools, day camps, and other organizations. I would imagine kids are pretty excited to learn that they can actually eat things that are growing in their local park. Yeah, definitely. Kids love this and it's a gateway to teach them science. Purple flowering raspberry. Purple flowering raspberry. And this is the raspberry. first ripe purple flowering raspberry I've seen this year. I'll fight you for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will have the honor. Oh, Notice so it's hollow. Blackberries, yeah. which uh, are often similar looking to raspberries, although not this species, it doesn't even have thorns. Um, they are not hollow. But here, see what you think of this. Okay, let's give this a shot. I'm going to try the raspberry. Hmm, it's tasty. Yeah, it's tasty. These are, these are good. A little bit different than your typical raspberry. Yeah. It's but it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I could put and that on a frozen yogurt and enjoy it quite yeah, nicely. This is another one that's just starting to ripen. This is called the Seabald Viburnum, S-E-B-A-L-D. And it has a big seed in it, but it tastes like a raisin. Okay, let me give this a shot. And I'll show you what some of these things it look actually like. actually tastes like a raisin. At I'm other times of year. You have an app, right? Yeah, it's called Wild Edibles. So here's the purple flowering raspberry. This is my drawing of it. Okay. With a flower, you can tell which plants are related to which by the uh, flowers or fruits. And let's see if you can tell me what plant family this is in. What does this look like that you might buy in a florist? Wow, you're gonna really stretch my knowledge of plants here. I... It's one of the most common things you buy in a florist. A rose? Yes, it's in the rose family. There we go. Five petals with these bushy stamens in the center. So it's in huh. the rose family. And here's the berry that you just ate. Now, are there, though, look-alikes that you have to watch out for? Not for, these, for, not not for, these. for this. The only look-alikes are other species of raspberries, which are all edible. Okay. Good. So you're and not risking... A, yeah, you're not risking your life with this one. Good idea. I have a public tour coming up, and I think you ate the only ripe purple flying raspberry <laughs> we've got here. I'm just going to sneak past this bush... And no, what about anyone. those? Well, not oh, yeah, the raspberry. The we have viburnums. the raisin-like things. Yeah, yes. the seabald viburnums. I will have people. I will have people try. All right. Definitely. I'm sorry for eating the last raspberry, <laughs> the but first, I'm not apologizing first. too it's much. The first, it's not the last. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we will. We will get more of these.
Now, I would imagine you also have to compete with those, the birds of the park, who also like to eat these things. Yeah, but there's so much food, they can't keep up with everything. What's your background, Steve, that you have all of this knowledge? I'm self-taught. So, uh, instead of dealing with the witessent academic nonsense, I focus on what I need to learn. Do my own experimentation in the kitchen. Now this is a very dangerous plant. It's called wood sorrel. It has three leaves shaped like hearts. People confuse it with clover. Clover mm -hmm. has oval leaves, no hearts. So this may remind you of someone you love. Uh, clover, which has oval leaves and no hearts, certainly reminds me of my ex-girlfriend who ran off with another guy on Valentine's Day 16 years ago who also has no heart. <laughs> you could be more sympathetic. Now the reason this is so dangerous is that after you eat it, you can die of happiness. It is oh, so good. It tastes it like edible. lemonade. Mm. Wow, it's got a kick to it. Yeah, yeah, really delicious. Mm. It's all over the place, even here where they mowed. Wow. You see it coming back again. All this right here. Yeah, this. so this is renewable. So I can just pick this. Pick as much as you want, it up. put it in a salad, cook it this into a recipe. is incredible. It will keep right there, regenerating. Central Park, growing and I can eat it. And it's wow. no environmental impact to mm. collect it. That's really good. Now here's another plant. This one I really, oh no, the plant is dead. It died. <laughs> what does a plant have to do if it's going to die so there'll be more next year? It has to put seeds out. Okay, hold out seeds. your hands like this. I'll do this carefully. Oh. oh wow. Yeah, don't let these fall on the ground. Okay. Especially if you're Catholic, you're not supposed to spill your seeds. <laughs> and I am. I'll watch out for that. <laughs> so what is this called? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Because I want you to eat all the seeds. Okay. And see if okay. you can figure out by taste what family it's in. Okay. Eat them all. I will. I will. Looks like chocolate sprinkles, doesn't it? But I don't think it's going to taste like chocolate sprinkles. But let's see. We never let's know. See. Go ahead. Okay. Chew them for a while. You've got some on your upper lip. Mm. Okay. I'm gonna miss. It tastes like mustard. You it got it. It tastes like mustard. These are mustard seeds. Wow. Have you, do you cook at all? Not well, but I understand you have a cookbook that can help me with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, have you ever cooked with mustard seeds? I have not, no. Okay. If you cook with mustard seeds, you have to grind them up first. These are soft enough that you can chew them and not mm -hmm. have to grind them. Um, they actually add texture to recipes besides spiciness. Mm -hmm. So you can bake these into bread and give the bread uh, a bit of a kick. They're, it's called garlic mustard. It's and really good. Yeah, it and is. And it's hiding it in there. It's hiding in those yeah, branches. I'm trying to see if I can find any of the leaves. The leaves are too bitter at this time of year. Now, can you only get those seeds when the plant is dying yes, like that? Yes, it's a biennial. It lives two years. The mm -hmm. first year it has leaves that grow uh, out of the ground. They're called basal leaves because mm -hmm. they're uh, coming out of the base of the plant. And I'll show you what they look like. The leaves are sort of rounded like the common mallow and notched in tooth. But if you squeeze them, they have a really strong garlic smell. <laughs> uh, that's to keep the insects away. It smells like garlic. Very effective defense unless Italian insects find it, then it goes extinct. Yeah, well there you go. So. These are the sprouts, the seeds that you just ate. If they're lying on the ground in March, 
you get sprouts that look a little like alfalfa sprouts, but there's only one leaf per sprout, so mm -hmm. it looks like a flag. Alfalfa will have two, two. And this is the photo of the basal rosette. First year of this biennial two-year plant, it has the basal rosette. The second year, it gets the stem. The leaves are alternate. That means they're single. They're not in pairs. And on top, you've got a bud. Uh, now, this is a mustard, and there's another mustard you buy in the store that has, uh, that looks like this part when you buy it and eat it. Any idea what that might be? I know of Golden's mustard. No? Does it look like broccoli a little? It does look, it does look a little like broccoli. Yeah, here, yeah. this bud's for you. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, How many of those the, do you have? These are the flowers, <laughs> four petals in the shape of a cross, cruciferous, typical of the mustard family, which also has species with yellow flowers. And this is the part we saw now. Mm -hmm. That I would and be able to identify. Are the, here are the seeds. So that's the story of garlic wow. mustard. The leaves are quite good in the cold weather seasons, uh, late fall, winter, because this plant does uh, tolerate the cold very well mm -hmm. in early spring. It's invasive, but eating it isn't really going to help because the seeds are all over and it just keeps coming back. So that one is garlic mustard. Let's see what else we find. Is Central Park the only park in New York City that you forage in? Oh, no, no. I do Forest Park, Marine Park, Prospect Park, um, quite, a, quite a few places. And I go outside of the city, too, Westchester, Long Island, uh, New Jersey. Uh, once in a while, I even do Pennsylvania. Okay, here's something you use for tea. And you can also use the berries when they're ripe uh, as a seasoning, similar to allspice. It's called the common spice bush. And uh, here, smell the leaves. Mmm, <clears throat> mmm. That's a very nice scent that it's giving. Yeah, you pour boiling water over it. Oh, mm. not while it's in your hand. <laughs> you put it into a pot, you pour boiling uh -huh. water on it, cover the pot, let it sit for yes, 20 minutes, yes. and then take a strainer uh -huh. and strain Shake it, it out, out. Uh -huh. and drink the tea. It's a delicious beverage, and a strong tea is what the Native Americans used for fever. It uh, stimulates the immune system to kill microorganisms. Mm. I'm amazed about how strong the smell is from one little seed like that. That's pretty incredible how it's able to... Well, you're to... dealing with wild plants. You're not dealing with commercial stuff. Commercial stuff has been genetically engineered by centuries of breeding. The purpose of breeding is to make more money for the middleman. And the plants that are selected by humans to breed and grow and plant are heavier, and that way they make more money. The reason they're heavier is because they contain more water, less plant, less food, fewer nutrients, and way less flavor. So the wild plants are, are um, except for exceptions like common mallow, uh, are usually much stronger tasting than the stuff you buy in the store. So if I forget to put on cologne on my way to work, I can stop by the park, break open one of these things, and just dab a little behind yeah, uh, yeah, the ear and a little on the, the wrist this and the neck. amazing. There are actually a few right Yeah, I see them. There are quite a few there. In, uh, in July. And what's nice about all of this is that it's low-hanging fruit, yeah, especially for literally. someone like me. <laughs> and, it's, and it's free and it's renewable. You have zero environmental impact, but because you're buying fewer things shipped from around the world, you're actually having a positive environmental impact by incorporating local renewables into your diet. More people 
learned how to, uh, how to do this, there'd be a lot less burden on the earth and more care would be taken of the ecosystems where these things grow. So do you ever leave a park hungry? I get the sense that you don't. No, no, there's too, <laughs> much, there's too much food around. So what would you say are your top three tips for someone who wants to try this for the first time, even with your app, you know, so they're able to distinguish one plant from another? Bring the boss along, get an app that has airplane flights, and get an app that has tickets. And you can uh, try them on your boss, and if things don't work, you can leave the country really quickly. You need to identify the plants with 100% certainty and start with the easiest ones to recognize, like the wood sorrel and the garlic mustard. To start off small, work your way up. Yes, yes. And try, eat small amounts of anything the first time. Have you ever had a problem? Have you ever found yourself in an ER having your stomach pumped? Uh, no, but I did grow up on junk food, which was quite dangerous. And I had two very close calls of cases of food poisoning on my tours. Two reporters on separate occasions uh, developed serious food poisoning and had to go to the emergency room. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, fortunately for me, not fortunately for them, they got sick just before they arrived at the meeting spot of my tour from uh, uh, eating in delis and restaurants. <laughs> if the symptoms had occurred five minutes later, it would have been my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Cleared of all liability there. Yes. FYI, this reporter, not going to the ER. I got this guy on my side. <laughs> Steve, thanks so much for the foraging expedition here in Central Park. And humor me for a second here, because okay. as we went about our tour this morning, a little song came to mind that I think maybe you want to use in promoting your tours. Okay. It's very pop music-centric. So this doesn't seem right. It looks crazy. But here's my number. Forage, maybe? <laughs> What do you think of that? Excellent. All right. Thanks for uh, humoring me with that. Okay. And thank you again for the delicious visit to Central Park. Sure. It's a pleasure. Wild man Steve Brill leads foraging tours in and around New York City. He's online at wildmanstevebrill.com. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. Imagine New York City sans all of the concrete. The Bronx is home to a 50-acre native forest along the Bronx River. The New York Botanical Garden was established at its location specifically to protect this remnant of ancient woodland that once covered much of the city. Skip Card is the author of Moon Take a Hike New York City, 80 hikes within two hours of Manhattan. He recently took me on a tour of New York's native forest. Toto, I don't think we're in midtown Manhattan anymore, but we are still in New York City, and I'm with Skip Card. Skip, hello. Great to be here. Great to, to be out in the Bronx. Yes, we are in the Bronx, believe it or not, in the New York Botanical Garden. What is this area called? This is called the uh, Native Forest. It's 50 acres of virgin old growth that have never been cut down since about the time of the American Revolution. So this is what New York City would look like if it never faced the axe. Well, yes and no, but primarily uh, yes. This is uh, the trees that would grow here, that were here basically when the Europeans arrived. What kinds of trees are here? Uh, mostly hardwoods, uh, typical uh, 
eastern hardwoods, uh, oak, maple, beech, sweet gum, uh, and, and a variety of leafy green plants. And right behind you here is the Bronx River. The Bronx River, named for a Swedish settler, Jonas Bronx, uh, Bronx uh, gave the uh, borough its name. Now, you say that New York City breeds hikers, only most New Yorkers don't know it. People walk here a lot, they, uh, they explore, they like going out and, and seeing what's new, what's different. It's a perfect uh, training ground for going on a hike. Now, of course, we do a lot of walking in New York City, so we're actually developing our calf muscles, aren't we? People are really, really good walkers in New York, and uh, they, they've got all the equipment, basically, to, uh, to, to go out and go for a hike. Do you find, though, that many New Yorkers are hesitant to go out there for a hike? They really are. It's, it's, it's so comfortable here in the city. Uh, you know where you're going. You, you uh, have public transportation. I'm, I'm often surprised at uh, the fears of, of just getting out of the city and exploring. Surprisingly, uh, being out alone is sort of intimidating to a lot of New Yorkers because they're so used to being around crowds. What's your advice for someone who hasn't yet taken that step? What are the basics for a first-time hiker? <clears throat> Well, carry the things that you need. Uh, be aware that uh, there's not going to be a bodega out in the forest. You're going to need to bring water. There's not? There's not. <laughs> your, your food, all, all the things that you need are not going to be available right on the street corner. So, so pack uh, anything you might want, including a map, uh, which is kind of odd for New Yorkers who think if, if you're holding a map, you must be a tourist. Maps are, are, are crucial for a walk in the woods. And wear these things. Wear hiking boots. No flip-flops. That's right. No flip-flops, no uh, high heels. Uh, good, sturdy shoes are... are Always a, a good investment. Now, your book, again, is Moon, Take a Hike, New York City. 80 hikes around Manhattan within two hours. Within two hours of Manhattan, yes. Really? 80 hikes? Uh, and, and I only got the 80 best ones. I mean, there are lots of uh, hiking trails in, in the state uh, uh, and county preserves uh, in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Uh, it's, it's very surprising what's, what's available to hikers out here. Now, it goes from beginning to advanced as well? Yes. Uh, this is one of the beginning trails here in the uh, native forest. I take my young daughter here uh, sometimes, uh, but you can hike uh, some very technical uh, scrambles that uh, are, are suitable only for experienced hikers. What would you say is one of the more challenging hikes around the area? An area called Breakneck Ridge is one of the most popular and yet most challenging hikes. It's uh, just north of uh, Cold Spring uh, near West Point. It's a steep uh, ascent up some rocks. You do have to do a little hand-over-hand -hand scrambling. Surprisingly, it's one of the most popular ones, and, and that's one that I try and tell people, I know everybody's heard of it. You want to go out there. You want to see what it is. It's probably not one you want to begin with. Which hike would you say offers the most beautiful vistas? Well, Breakneck Ridge is one. That's, that's one, one of the ones. It's so popular. But many of the ones in what they call the Hudson Highlands uh, give you uh, beautiful uh, views of the Hudson River. A little farther north, uh, to the extent of, of the two-hour range, is the, uh, the Gumps, the Shamgum uh, Mountains. Beautiful trails up there that go up over exposed rock and give you very, very great views of, of the uh, Wallkill Valley. Now, you said this is one of the easier hikes, but is there a lot to see here as well? It's a beautiful area. Uh, the, the trees here are spectacular. They, uh, they're impressive to, to people who have not been around old-growth timber. I understand there's something here at the native forest called the Bear Den. What is that? It's uh, a slabs of rock that have been pushed into place by the glaciers during the last ice age. Uh, bears probably stayed there. They found uh, arrowheads from uh, Native American hunters, and uh, it looks like a, a little uh, rocky den. So a lot of history right here in the native forest. A lot of history. So you can actually see where the... And it's actually funny to hear planes yes. overhead when we're in such a 
roughly natural environment. Yeah, we're probably on the JFK landing path. Those Native Americans did not hear that overhead, no, no. no question about that. So you could actually uh, see where things have formed, where the, uh, the glaciers have formed. There's a lot of evidence of glaciation here in, in the native forest, as well as in places like Central Park. All right, can we do a little exploration? Absolutely. All right, let's go. Okay. Now, Skip, this obviously is a man-made trail, but were the trails here always as structured? No. Uh, the, uh, the land was acquired in about 1891, and it became the core of the New York Botanical Garden. They preserved this 50 acres in part because it was so beautiful. And it attracted people from Manhattan and all the other uh, parts of the city. Uh, and at the time, there was a number of trails crisscrossing through here. They found out that's pretty bad for trees. You compact the soil, you damage the roots, and some of the older, more scenic trees that were really popular were starting to get killed. Uh, years later, they decided to just constrict some of the trails to the broad paths that we see here today. It's much better for the trees, and it still gives you a, a good look at uh, what's here in the forest. Now, you said the land was acquired in the late 1800s. Who actually owned the land? The Laura Large family owned the land and operated a tobacco snuff mill uh, right here in this property. They used the uh, water along the Bronx River to power the mill. And uh, what we see up here coming up is uh, one of the mill races, places where you dam the water to get a consistent supply. Um, when uh, they stopped making tobacco about 1870, the land was uh, fallow for a while. But then uh, it was acquired by the city and then the state and turned into the botanical garden that we have today. Is there evidence of that old tobacco factory here? It's actually now a beautiful mill uh, reclaimed called the Stone Mill. It used to be called the Snuff Mill, but uh, it turned out to be a great place to hold weddings. And brides preferred the sound of Stone Mill rather than Stuff Mill. Yeah, I guess for obvious reasons. Yes. Now, you are actually not from New York City. You're from Washington State. Yeah, grew up in uh, Tacoma, Washington, really got into hiking and, and even mountain climbing out in the Pacific Northwest, but uh, moved to New York and started discovering the uh, places that are out here. Were you surprised about how much there actually is out here? I was very surprised. Uh, uh, people from outside New York and even within New York think of this as a very urban, congested area. In fact, there's an amazing amount of green space, not only in the city, but in the surrounding areas. Even on a rainy day, it's beautiful. Even on a rainy day, it's <laughs> Why is it, Skip, that this particular area is so unique? How come there aren't other large stretches of preserved forest in New York City? Well, not only in New York City, but in the area around New York City, and in New Jersey and everything. Tree, uh, virgin old growth is very rare because when settlers came here, trees were an obstacle. Either you had to cut them down to farm, or you cut them down for firewood, or to make charcoal or uh, you cut them down to for simple wood to, to build the houses that you needed to live in. Um, so preserving uh, timber was, was just not thought of at, at the time. The, the trees were needed and were cut down. Now, what about disease over the years? I mean, we often hear about disease that impacts trees. Has disease impacted trees here in the forest? Very much so. The, uh, the dominant tree when Europeans arrived was chestnut, and those are very rare today because uh, uh, disease wiped out most of the uh, uh, northeast chestnut trees. Today, they're having a similar problem with what we call invasive species. Another reason the trails here are small, fewer and uh, more compact is that hikers, as much as I like to be a hiker, we bring in seeds of other plants, especially weeds that we track on our shoes, and uh, they infiltrate the forest. Uh, around 2008, here in the ancient forest, they uh, did a very, very uh, thorough program to try and wipe out the invasive species that were coming in. 
have they taken on any efforts to repopulate trees that have died off? Very much so. They've, uh, there's a very active uh, program here in the native forest to replant uh, trees. But it's still, this isn't what you would have seen in 1891. It, it's close, and some of the trees are very similar. But forests change, even when you preserve them. When I think about forests, I often think about wildlife. So what kind of wildlife still lives in this forest in New York City? Right now, this is one of the best birdwatching areas in New York City. Uh, I, I forget the number of species, but of a large variety uh, of birds either nest here permanently or pass through during what's called the migration period uh, uh, on an area called the New York Byway. There's also an animal named Jose who lives in the Bronx River, right? Jose, named after the local state senator who helped uh, spearhead efforts to clean up the Bronx River. It's now so clean, where once it was a horribly polluted uh, industrial waste stream, now a beaver or two have actually been spotted in the river. Now, Skip, thank you so much. Your book is Moon, Take a Hike, New York City, 80 Hikes Within Two Hours of Manhattan. This is one of them here at the New York Botanical Garden. Thank you so much for taking us around. It's been a pleasure showing you around. I hope you enjoyed the hike as much as I did. Loved it. My thanks to Skip Card for taking me on that tour of New York's native forest in the Bronx. If you want to see a video version of today's show, well, we have one. It's on our website, wfuv.org slash cityscape. I want to thank producers Tim Pearson and Tim Teeling for making that happen. I also want to thank Cityscape producers Morlene Chin and Julie Clark for doing what they do every week for Cityscape, and that's a great job producing this show. I'm George Boldarki. Have a great weekend.